Thanks to Eddie for her assistance with worship. And if you saw something going on up here a while ago, church was nearly over. There was a spider on the microphone. And uh, if we had had the offering all clear, uh, it would have been over. But, but I took care of it, which is unusual. Uh, so uh, now I'm just looking all around me, wondering where it came from. So... Uh, But it's good to see you all. I'm glad that many of you are back from winter break and hope and pray the others will be back safely very soon. I hope you've had a good time away if you were a part of those adventures. We had folks scattered all over the globe and it's uh, good to be back together. Good to be back in this lovely and sacred place on this Sunday. Our scripture lesson for today as we continue down the road we've been on for a while is from Luke chapter 6 beginning with verse 27. This is the gospel reading appointed for this particular Sunday. Luke chapter 6 beginning with verse 27. Would you stand as you are able for the reading of the Holy Gospel? But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful. Just as your father is merciful, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you a good measure. Pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Going home by another road. That's been our series for a while now. We conclude next week the Transfiguration Sunday, the bridge Sunday between Epiphany and Lynn. And we'll be talking about the Glory Road next Sunday. But we've been talking about going home by a different road all the way back to the first Sunday in January when the wise men found another road to go home on because they had been warned about King Herod in a dream. We talked about the service road when Jesus was baptized. And we talked about the back roads versus the interstates. And what happens when you miss little villages like Cana, where Jesus transformed water into wine and taught us some lessons about the abundance and the grace of God. Also, we talked about a few Sundays ago, GPS, God's positioning system, how the Spirit nudges us and moves us in new directions in our lives and shows us the way. 
And then we talked about going home again, the roads that take us home. But when we get home, things are not like we remember, like they used to be. Jesus, the, the carpenter's son, everybody loved him until he read scripture and preached for a little bit. And then they wanted to drag him up to the top of the hill and throw him down, take his life. Something he said, I suppose. And then we talked about me, <laughs> take that road about God's call on the prophet Isaiah. And what is God's call on your life? Is God calling you and putting your feet on a different road, different places of service within the church? Or maybe God has got God's hand on you for ordained ministry. You never know. Just listen. And then we talked last week about the inner roads, the ways of the heart, and the way those roads determine how we face hard times and difficult times and find our way through a place that can sometimes be confusing, a place in our lives. And for today, a road less traveled, or the road less traveled, to borrow a book title from a few decades ago. Who are the pilgrims on this road? And are our footprints on this road less traveled, the road that Christians are called to walk? And what does being Christian mean? Let's think about that and think about this road that Maybe we're being called to put our feet on today. According to one writer, being Christian is having the qualities demonstrated and taught by Jesus the Christ. For our purposes today, I want us to accept that as a working definition of what a Christian is, realizing that it's neither precise nor is it complete. Having the qualities taught and demonstrated by Jesus the Christ. What are those qualities? For one thing, they're too numerous to mention in one sermon or one Sunday school lesson or one book or one library full of books or one internet full of stuff. There's just too much. There's too much. So let's narrow the list down to those qualities that are mentioned in our gospel lesson for today from Luke's gospel, Luke 6, 27 through 38, taken from that portion of the gospel that's come to be known as the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Level Place. In Matthew's gospel, these teachings are known as the Sermon on the Mount. But for Luke, the mountain is a place of prayer. Jesus chooses the 12 apostles there, and then he comes down to the or to the level place to be with the people with whom he identifies. What are some of the qualities that Jesus taught the crowd? Some of the things that he said to them that day about what a follower of his would look like. How you could identify one. Some hard stuff. For me anyway, maybe not for all of you. Jesus taught them to love their enemies. To do good to those who hated them. To bless those who cursed them to pray for those who abuse them if anyone strikes you on one cheek jesus said well don't strike them back offer the other and from anyone who takes your coat away from you offer your shirt not common wisdom is it give to those who beg from you do to others as you would have them do to you don't judge don't condemn forgive and give that's a lot to ask, and it's a lot to demand. Where could we find a person or persons who have all those qualities? Would you believe it? If I told you I found somebody like that way back in the pages of the Old Testament, 
Now, for a lot of Christians, we've tried to oversimplify things, and we say Old Testament God of wrath, New Testament God of grace. But it's not that simple, is it? Way back in the Old Testament, in the book of beginnings, and his name was Joseph. Joseph was Jacob and Rachel's boy. And when we pick up the story, he's 17 years old, and he's working as a shepherd. Jacob loved Joe more than any of his other children, and it was so apparent, the favoritism was so obvious, the coat, the robe of many colors and long sleeves designed just for Joseph, never mind the others. How were they to feel about that? What happened was not lost on them, and they hated him. (laughs) They despised Brother Joe. Sibling rivalry would carry to an all-time low. They could not keep civil tongues in their heads. And then things got worse. I love this story of Joseph. Let me just say a word or two about that. And I can't read it without thinking about Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. And the last time I saw that production at the Fox Theater and Donny Osmond was Joseph. And it was a, it was a fun kind of evening. I loved the music. And in one of my previous appointments at Midway Church between Alfred and Cumming, we were doing this production. And they got between a rock and a hard place and they needed a Father Jacob at the last minute. And they looked at me and I said, you know about me and my singing. And they said, we can fix that. Can you just talk over the music? Kind of like Johnny Cash used to do or something. And I said, I can do that. I can do that. And I still remember my line. Father Jacob didn't have many lines, if you're familiar with the production. And I'm going to try to remember it. Probably will forget it for the first time in a long time. But it was something like Joseph's mother. She was quite my favorite wife. I never really loved another all my life. And Joseph was my joy because he reminded me of her. I loved the music and loved that show. But Joseph was in a mess. Like a lot of folks back then and now, Joseph never realized that you don't have to say everything you think. Uh, Reminds me of some wisdom from my father that I sometimes forget when he would tell me that silence was the best substitute for brains. (laughs) Don't have to say everything we think. Joseph didn't have to tell his brothers about all these dreams. that He wasn't helping his case at all. They already had turned on him. He had a couple of dreams. And in those dreams, as they were interpreted, his brothers were bowing down to him. That was the symbolism of the dreams. They were bowing down to them. And he told them about that. And that would be the straw that would break the proverbial camel's back. One day, not long after this dream-sharing session, the brothers were out away from the ranch keeping the flock, and they had to move them around to find good grazing territory. They were out near a place called Shechem, and Joseph was not with them. And meanwhile, back at the Bar J Ranch, Jacob says to Joseph, I need you to go check on your brothers. Make sure they're okay. Take them something if they need it. Bring me a report back. And uh, he said, I think they're somewhere over around Shechem. So off 
Joseph went looking for his brothers, got to Shechem. They were not there, but there was a stranger there. And, and Joseph said, have you seen my brothers? And he kind of described them. And he said, yeah, they left here and they've gone over to a place called Dothan. Not in Alabama, but another <laughs> Dothan. And so Joseph struck out for Dothan looking for his brothers and uh, soon had them in his sights. Now, the brothers realized that daddy's pet was on the way. And so they started putting their jealous heads together. And they hatched a conspiracy to do him in. They were going to kill him, throw his body in a pit, tell father that a wild animal had killed him and devoured the body. And there were no remains. So too bad, too sad. But Reuben talked the others out of killing him. Just throw him in the pit. Leave him be. We don't want murder on our hands. Just throw him in the pit. He can't get out. So Joseph arrives, they strip him of this beautiful robe, coat, throw him in the pit. Then they all sit down to eat <laughs> like nothing wrong, nothing, no problem. That takes care of that. Let's eat. So while they were eating, a caravan was passing by. Ishmaelites, the people were, and they were on their way to Egypt. So at Judah's suggestion, let's sell him. We can leave him in the pit or we can make a little money and be rid of him forever. So let's sell him. And they sold him to the Ishmaelites, 20 pieces of silver, and he was taken to Egypt. The brothers took Joseph's robe, killed a goat, dipped the robe in the goat, took it in the goat's blood, took it back, said, Daddy, awful thing has happened to Joseph. Now, while all this was taking place, Joseph was being sold into slavery into the home of a man called Potiphar. Potiphar was a official in Pharaoh's administration, part of Pharaoh's cabinet, part of his inner circle, and uh, a captain of the guard. And the Lord is with Joseph. And Joseph was put in charge of everything that Potiphar owned. And then there was this little unpleasantness with Mrs. Potiphar. She tried to seduce Joe, but he refused her advances. One day when he was nearby, she grabbed his robe and he ran. And she still had the robe. And she framed Job, saying that he had tried to assault her. He promptly lost all his privilege and power and position and found himself in prison. But even there, the Lord was with him. And in prison, Joseph gained the reputation of being interpreter of dreams. He could figure things out that nobody else could make sense of. And his services were soon required by the Pharaoh. And after interpreting the Pharaoh's dreams that had to do with seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, then Joseph charted a course of action. Pharaoh, I think I can help us get through this. His suggestion was that one-fifth of the produce of the land for the next seven years be set aside during the time of plenty. And then when the time of famine came, you would have a reserve to fall back on. An emergency fund, Dave Ramsey would call it. And so it seemed to seemed to work out for him. Pharaoh was pleased with his plan, and he turned over the whole land of Egypt to Joseph, who was now 30 years old. And things happened just as Joseph said they would. Seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine, and the famine spread across the known earth at that time. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, when Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he was going to send his boys over there to get some, to get something to eat. And he said, boys, why? Do you keep sitting around here staring at one another? I have heard that there's grain available in Egypt. So get your lethargic selves up off the sofa 
and had, that's, he probably said something a little harsher than that, but you understand. And get yourself over there and get us something to eat. If we eat, we live. If we don't, we die. Uh, got it? They said, we get it, Daddy. We're on our way. And 10 of Jacob boys made the journey. Benjamin did not. Benjamin the youngest. Benjamin also Rachel's son. Jacob really did have this thing about Rachel. So the 10 arrived in Egypt. And guess who they had to deal with? They walked into the store. And there behind the counter, long lost brother Joseph. They did not recognize him. But he knew who they were. And at first he treated them like strangers, accused them of being spies. Gave them some grain to take home finally, but one of them stayed behind as a hostage. Planted some silverware in one of the bags, accused them of being thieves. Just yanking their chain, messing with them, giving them a hard way to go. But though part of himself, he seemed to get a kick out of all this. With another part, he was so moved. And so happy to be back in touch with his own flesh and blood after all these years that he had to rush out of the room every now and then so they wouldn't see the tears that were beginning to dot his face and streak down his cheeks. Well, to make this long Joseph story short, or shorter, it's probably too late to make it short, um, there's an old story about a guy who was preaching one morning. He'd been carrying on about 35 or 40 minutes, and he said, well... Now, to make a long story short, and some old guy in the back stood up and said, Preacher, it's too late for that. So, well, I hope it's not too late. We haven't lost you, but the Joseph story is about over. Um, he finally told them who he was. They fell into each other's arms. He invited them to come back to Egypt and live and said, Go get your daddy. Go get our father, Jacob. And they brought Jacob back to Egypt and Jacob was so glad that his boy was still alive that he seemed to forget all the ugliness and the trick that had been played on him with the bloody robe. All that was in the past. But the real moment of truth came when Jacob died. And the boys were afraid, oh, my daddy's dead, and now Joseph is going to take care of us. We've had it. So they went, and they fell down in front of Joseph, and they pleaded for forgiveness and Joseph, Joseph's answer rings out clearly, don't be afraid. Of course you're forgiven. Why would you think otherwise? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other. From anyone who takes away your coat, give them your shirt. <laughs> give to everyone who begs from you. Be merciful. Be forgiving. And be giving, be generous. Joseph was not a Christian. There were no such things back in his day. But then he gave evidence in his life of the qualities that Jesus taught and demonstrated so many years later. Can't you see it? It was just so obvious. Joseph was a Christ-like person. But he's not the only person found to be living on the pages of the Old Testament that were Christ-like. There were so many others. God's grace is so evident, even in the Old Testament. That's why it's wrong to just say God of wrath and act like that covers the whole territory. It doesn't. There were gracious, loving, wonderful people in that day. Of course, the New Testament is heavily populated with Christ-like figures. Not perfect, 
but folks who were demonstrating the qualities that were demonstrated by Jesus the Christ. That's what we're called to do, isn't it? The pages of the Bible, these folks have existed through all times and in all places, even before Scripture was recorded. And they can be found even today, men and women, young folk and old folk of all ages and nations and races and just genders, all kinds of folks demonstrating the love of God shown and taught by Jesus the Christ. Could you find one or more such persons in the places where you work and the places where you go to school and the place where you worship? Christ-like people. Maybe start thinking about Will Campbell. Will Campbell died a few years ago. He was his own term in describing himself. He was a bootleg Baptist preacher. That's what he called himself. He was involved in the civil rights movement. He uh, wrote some great books, one of them called 40 Acres and a Goat, just some unusual character. But in one of his books of short stories, he tells about a man that lived in the community, we'll call the man Sam, lived in the community where Will grew up. And he said, he was such a rough and ragged around the edge kind of character. Used terrible language racial slurs and other things that were just inappropriate and unacceptable. Just tough guy, ragged, rough. But one year, there was a snowstorm in that part of Tennessee. Snow and ice on the ground, a lot of folks in their houses, running out of firewood, running out of groceries. And who was out there on his tractor with a trailer attached to it and bringing food and firewood to all these people, black folk and white folk and everybody else? But Sam. And Will Campbell says, what do you do with somebody like that? What do you do? Maybe you know some folk like that. You wouldn't be quick to call them Christ-like characters. But I think about that passage, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Christ-like characters everywhere we turn. Christians, Christ-like persons, those who have the qualities demonstrated and taught by Jesus Christ. They love their enemies. Too many of us have an enemies list, don't we? They do good to those who hate them. They bless those who curse them. They pray for those who abuse and misuse them. They do to others as they would have others do to them. They are merciful. Even when revenge can be so sweet, they're merciful. They do not judge or condemn. They forgive and they give. Could you or I find a person like that in our mirrors? Could we find some other folk like that on the road that our feet are on, a road less traveled. Amen.